For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so it is with the word that goes out from God's mouth. It will not return to God empty, but will accomplish his purpose and succeed in the things for which he sent it. With this in mind, please turn in your Bibles to James 5, 7 through 12, or follow along on the screens behind me. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Please pray with me. O God, our guide, set your path clearly before us and lead us to follow you willingly for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So a young father was taking his very young son on a walk out in his neighborhood. And as he was pushing the stroller along, uh, his son just finally had had enough. He lost it. He just started screaming, and he was just outraged. You know, when little kids, they just finally hit their limit. There's nothing you can do. And you could hear the father saying, Bernard, it's okay. You know, just hang in there. We're almost home. Be patient. And he was just talking to him in this really nice, gentle voice. And this woman who was coming the opposite way stopped them and said, Sir, I just want to let you know, I, I heard you speaking to your son, and you just have an awesome way of, of speaking to your child. You're just so calm and and, and patient and gentle with him. I just want to let you know, I just think that's great. And she said, by the way, uh, I heard you say his name is Bernard. She said, is that, did you name your son after somebody in your family? And the father said, ma'am, you need to understand. My son's name is Henry. My name is Bernard. So the reality is, right, there's times that we have to talk to ourselves, right, about being patient. Uh, and so the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. In fact, the whole topic of waiting is all over Scripture. Um, the topic even on patience, there are 30 specific verses on patience in the Bible. And so there's a lot for us to learn from, from Scripture. We know that patience is a virtue, and yet because of our hurried-up society, uh, many of us are like the lady who prayed, Lord, I know I'm always in a hurry, so I need patience, and I need it right now. We're not willing to wait, are we? We want patience, and we want it now. Now, as we continue to study in James this morning, James emphasizes this virtue. And we certainly understand that patience is needed in our tasks, in our relationships. But James zeroes in on a particular subject here with patience that relates to all of us. And he says that we must develop patience in order for us to get through hard and trying times. And certainly one of the most challenging times to exercise patience is when our life seems unjust or unfair or we've received unfair uh, treatment or when circumstances are out of our control, like maybe COVID-19, right? And so I'm sure in this room 
There may be someone in this room who's lost their job or maybe ended a relationship that was significant to you or is suffering physically or are living under great financial stress. Well, God, through James, wants us uh, to know how we can react to suffering. And so I just want us to look closer at this passage from James, because if we're not going through suffering right now, there will be a point in our life where we will go through something that will cause us to suffer. And all of us can use godly advice on how to handle that time. And so first, James uh, speaks to us about patience by telling us to do a very difficult thing, and that is to wait. Look again at, J- at verse 7. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait. Now, patience in this context is simply the ability to stay steadfast under trial. So now we need to admit as Americans that this isn't always something that comes easy to us. We have a difficult time being patient in ordinary circumstances. Waiting has probably always been a difficult virtue to develop, but it's particularly hard in our society today. We live in a rapid-paced culture, right? We have microwaves where we can have food that's ready in a moment's notice. Uh, We've got smartphones that we can grab at any point and find out any information by going on the Internet. We can go to our bank account. Uh, We can read our emails, and maybe some of you are doing that right now because you're not patient to wait for the end of the service. You know, we've got companies like Amazon who promise us two-day delivery for free, and when the package doesn't arrive at the end of the second day, we wonder if it's ever going to come. Like, we are so want the, the, the things that we want, and we want them now. We live in a world of now. And it's very difficult to be patient anytime. So it's no wonder that it's nearly impossible for us to demonstrate patience when we're suffering, let alone the regular circumstances. Even our pain medicines promise us fast relief. And so if we're seriously ill or we're emotionally distressed or... Uh, Under financial pressure, we want a remedy, and we want it in a hurry. But James says, be patient, endure, persevere. There's going to be hard times, and there's going to be times when literally there's little we can do except wait. Now, it's a little thing to have to wait for a meal when we're hungry, but it's a whole other matter that James tells us that we have to exercise patience even in times of severe stress and affliction. But James adds this encouragement. If we go back to verse 7, it says, Be patient as you wait. As we wait for what? As we wait for the Lord's return. There's something good that we're waiting for that is coming, that's been promised to us. And so waiting is hard, but James is giving us a timeless truth in this message. He's saying good, good things come uh, with some waiting. And the best thing ever will be the reward that Jesus promises that he's going to deliver to us when he returns again. And to those who have a relationship with him, the promise of the second coming. And let's say we're baking a chocolate cake and our four-year-old child watches us bake something for the first time. And we take first the flour and we sift it. And our child looks at that and goes, oh, that's yucky. That looks dry. I don't want to eat that. And you go, wait, just wait. It's going to get better. But you got to wait. And then you put in some milk and some baking soda and maybe some sour cream. And your child looks at that and goes, oh, that looks terrible. I don't want to eat that. And you say, wait, have patience. It's going to get better. And then you, what do you do? You put in some raw eggs and then your child's like, no way. I am not going to eat that. That looks gross. And you say, wait, be patient because you know when you have all the ingredients and you've mixed them all together and you put that in the oven and you let it bake for a number of minutes, 
what's going to come out of that oven is an incredible chocolate cake that your child is not going to be able to set aside, right? Well, there's a spiritual connection with this story, right? There are times when life seems dry and it seems tasteless or something sour happens in our life and we don't really want anything to do with that or, you know, it gets worse from that point. And it's just like we don't want to wait for God to produce in us something that he's working in us. And so he needs time, though, to bake our character so that he can produce fruit in our lives that's going to be something very worthwhile. And even better than that, if we can't see the result of that characteristic develop in our lives, there's something even better that's amazing that God has promised to us who are in Christ Jesus, and that's the return of the Lord, right? And so we know that uh, in heaven, when we get to heaven, that we won't be there two seconds and before realizing that everything that we've gone through is worth the wait. And he repeats the same encouragement in verse 8. He says, be patient, take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. So he's making this connection to patience, but also this future promise of this incredible thing that he's going to do as Christ returns. And the second coming of Christ is prophesied 300 times in the New Testament. That Christ is going to come back to the earth, and when he comes, he's going to make all things right. There's not going to be any more sorrow. There won't be uh, no more war, no more suffering. And you see, Jesus' return is a source of comfort and stimulates us to be patient. Because one day, all the bad things we experience in this life will be gone. Now, James also gives us a couple of clues about how we can tell when we're not practicing patience, right? Two evidences of impatience. First is grumbling. Look at verse 9. He says, don't grumble about each other or you will be judged. And so when we're suffering, grumbling is often the thing that we lean to, lean on, really as a thing that we just move to. Or sometimes we complain uh, about others as well. And so uh, we, we attack others or we blame others in our circumstances. And, you know, we say things like, why didn't the doctor diagnose this sooner? Why did God allow this to happen? Why did the coach pick him to be the quarterback of the football team? And so when we grumble, it's really a sign that we're not practicing patience. In fact, it tells us just the opposite. We're on edge. We're mad. You know, that you can even hear it in the word, grumbling. I mean, it's an angry word. And so God considers grumbling or complaining to be a very serious sin because it's an indication that you really don't trust him. Our impatience is an indication that we really don't believe that he's going to take care of us, that he's going to provide for us in that situation, that he's going to do the best for us ultimately. And that's why Philippians 2 verse 14 says, Do everything without grumbling or complaining. God's trying to instill in us, instead of an attitude of grumbling, an attitude of gratitude. The second indication that we're being impatient is swearing. Look at verse 12. It says, but most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. And so what James is talking about here, he's not not talking about swearing like bad words. He's talking about swearing where we take an oath using God's name and making a promise that we may not be able to back up. And so he's saying in in this situation, sometimes we make those promises because we believe if we take an oath, in God's name, that it, we're really being more serious about it. But he's saying, be careful with that. You know, people say things like, I swear to God, if he would heal her, I'll just come back to church. Well, James is saying, don't do that, okay? 
He's asking us instead, to, instead of showing impatience that brings those, those hasty promises to simply say, God, even if these things don't work out the way that I want them to or hope that they will, that I'm still going to trust you to handle that. I know you're able to do these things. In other words, uh, just be credible with your speech. Okay, even when you're under stress that you don't grumble, you don't swear, you don't lash out at others or even at God or blame God for your plight. Now, in this passage, James gives us three positive examples of patience. And there are three lessons that I think we can take from these examples in this passage. And the first example is that of the farmer. Look again at verse seven, the back end of that verse. It says, consider the farmer who patiently waits for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They look, they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. So put yourself in the farmer's shoes for a minute if you can. Okay? They don't have control over a whole lot of things. There's things that they don't control. Things like when it rains, how much rain they get. If it rains too much or too little, they don't have control over those things. They don't control the temperature, how hot it gets, how long it stays hot, or how cold it gets, or how long it stays cold. And there's so many other factors that a farmer doesn't control. And so there's so much out of his control, and all you have to do, all you can do is wait and hope and pray and see how things turn out at the harvest, right? Can you imagine a farmer without patience? It's like a submarine with a screen door, okay? Think about that for a minute. Now, there's a whole lot of circumstances in this life that are beyond your control, and there's nothing that you can do about them. The farmer can't count on the rain. He can only hope for it. The same is true with us as well sometimes. There are some things in this fallen world that we can't control, and it's no one's fault that it's imperfect. This in this perfect life. And there's no use worrying about it or blaming somebody else or um, swearing. And there's no use life making life miserable for somebody else. All you can do is wait and place your trust on God uh, to take care of it. And listen, God can use all these things that we grow through to grow us for our benefit if we allow him to. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. He says, we also have joy with our troubles. Because we know that these troubles produce patience. And patience produces character. And character produces hope. And this hope will never disappoint us because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. And so here's the first lesson. Some suffering is beyond your control. So trust God and do what you can. Don't just sit around and do nothing, okay? That increases our anxiety. You do what you can. You go to the doctor. You take your medicine, you pass out resumes, you pray, you read your Bible, you do your part. But if there are circumstances that are beyond your control, then turn the matter over to God and trust him to take care of it. Psalm 27 verse 14 says this, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous, yet, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. And sometimes life deals you blows that you have to be brave and you have to be courageous. But in those times, what are you going to do? Or who are you going to trust? When the doctor says there's nothing else we can do. When your boss says, I'm sorry, we have to lay you off. When you learn that a loved one has died. When you're, who are you going to depend on and then? Yourself? The world's solutions? No. James says uh, they wait patiently for the precious harvest to ripen. 
The farmer knows that there's uh, circumstances behind his control, so he's patient, he waits patiently, he trusts the Lord, and so should we. The second example that James gives in the Old Testament are the prophets. Uh, he says in verse 10, for examples of patience and suffering, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, the prophets were God's spokesmen. They were kind of like uh, preachers in the Old Testament, but they were not immune from pain and suffering. In fact, they were oftentimes in the middle of it, and sometimes it was directed at them. The Bible tells us that the prophet Ezekiel's wife died the night before he was to deliver a really important message. Daniel who was a young Jewish man, was taken hostage to a foreign land. We know Hosea's wife was unfaithful in the marriage multiple times, and yet he had to deal with those things. And and Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because his message calling for repentance where people turned from their sins, they didn't like that message, and so what did they do? They beat him up. They abused him physically. And so many times when things go wrong, we want to cry out, Oh, God, why is this happening to me? What have I done wrong? Why are you punishing me like this? But the prophets were walking in the will of God, and yet they still suffered in that circumstance. So here's the second lesson I want us to take away. Most suffering is not punishment for sin. Listen to what Jeremiah said to the people after they were taken by enemies as slaves in Babylon. In Jerusalem, in Jeremiah 29.5, he says this. He said, "...build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce." Get married and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and let your daughters get married so that they can have sons and daughters. Grow a number there. Don't decrease. Work for the good of the city where I've taken you as captives and pray to the Lord for the good of that city. And when it prospers, you will also prosper. What God was saying to them is, is I know that you don't want to be here. I know that you want to be, you'd rather be in Jerusalem, but I know, and I know you want to be free, but, but, You're here to stay for a while, and I want you to make the best of it while you're here. Now, maybe you don't live where you want to live. Maybe your job isn't the kind of job you really want. Maybe your circumstances aren't ideal. But more than likely, this is not punishment. It's just circumstances. The important question to ask in the meantime is, between the time you're sick and the time you're well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in the meantime between the time you lose your job and the time you get your next job? What are you going to do in the meantime between the time your daughter tells you that she wants to marry the guy that you don't like and the time that they are married and they have a child and you look at that child and you go, it's the most beautiful, smartest child that's ever been born. What do you do in the end between time? Most of our suffering is not punishment. And it's time for some of us to realize that and to keep playing uh, even though we're hurting. And the Old Testament prophets remained faithful even though they were persecuted. And James encourages us to be faithful in our suffering as well. One other example of patience that James gives is a man named Job. And verse 11 talks about Job. If we've read Job in the Old Testament, you know that Job suffered a lot. And this is what James says. He said, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. I don't care how much you're hurting today. You're not hurting as much as Job was. I'm sure that there's probably no one in this room that has lost as much as Job lost. Job's cattle alone were worth $6 million. And in one day, he lost not only all of his cattle, he lost all of his possessions. And then it got worse. 
He had ten children, and they were all the children were all eating at the oldest child's house. And a windstorm came up, and they were all lost in the windstorm. And then, not even worse, his health uh, broke in, in to the point where he had to scrape boils off of his skins because he couldn't uh, deal with them anymore. He wanted to get rid of them. And so, through all of that, though, Job remained faithful. He asked a lot of questions. He wasn't sure what God was up to. He he wasn't sure what was going on, but he didn't lose his trust. And although he suffered all these things and more more than them, he still said things like this. He said this in one verse. He said, even if the Lord slay me, I still I will trust him. In another verse, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so James says in the end, God blessed Job. In fact, when you read the story in the book of Job, uh, you see that God gave Job back twice as much as he had before he lost everything. It tells us Job had 7,000 sheep before, and he had 14,000 sheep after. He had 3,000 camels before, he had 6,000 camels after. He had 500 uh, uh, yoke of oxen, he had 1,000 yoke of oxen after. He lost 10 children. You know how many children God gave him? You want to say 20, but he only gave him 10. You know why he gave him 10? Because he loved him and he knew he couldn't handle 20, right? He had compassion on Job, right? Okay. So Job stayed faithful through it all, and God blessed him in the end. And I'm not saying that if we remain faithful that God is going to just bless us incredibly with material possessions and wealth, but we do believe and do trust that God will bless us. And even if the end is literally, again, the return of Christ, we're going to be blessed because the, great, the, the greatest thing in the whole world is yet to come. And so here's the final lesson. All suffering is temporary. The best is yet to come. God's promised that no matter how bad it gets, God has the ultimate reward. And James says that you're going to be blessed if you persevere. You've seen what the Lord did for Job, and he is full of compassion and mercy. And the Hebrew writer may have said it best in, in chapter 12, verse 2. He said, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And he's there now, in the place of honor, right alongside God. So remember the three lessons again from these these examples. Some suffering is beyond your control, so trust God and do what you can. Most suffering is not punishment for sin. It's just the result of an imperfect, fallen world. And finally, suffering, all suffering, is temporary. The best is yet to come. And as the God who is in control, he accomplishes his purposes in our lives. This means that anything and everything that we go through that is suffering has a purpose. Remember James chapter 1 where we began six weeks ago. Sometimes I feel like I'm preaching the same message I did six weeks ago. But James said, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so he brings things to the goal that he has in mind, like he did with Job. And what is the goal for us? It's salvation. It's perfection and completion in Christ Jesus at the end when the Lord comes back, which he has already won through his son Jesus and on the cross. And so we have a God 
who is truly merciful and compassionate toward us. The word that James uses for compassionate in this text is a special one. It's the only time in the whole Bible that this word is used here in James. And the word which means compassion here carries the image of this internal churning of the organs as you see the plight of those who suffer. And that's how James applying to what God, God's compassion on us. He sees us in our suffering and he toils with us in turmoil and in that suffering and he has compassion and mercy on us. We are blessed because in him we will persevere. James focuses our eyes on God, a God who cares, a God who's merciful and compassionate. And he also focuses our eyes on the coming. Jesus' return is a good thing for Christians. It means the end of suffering. It means the end of stress, of pain, of persecution, of heartache and loss. It means a new heaven, a new earth, a new body. It means a reunion with our loved ones who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, it gives us hope and comfort and encouragement to face the day, especially those days when we suffer. It means that something better is coming ahead. So be patient. Stand firm for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word of encouragement, a word of endurance, a word of perseverance that comes to us through James. God, we recognize that the people that James was writing to in his context were suffering great things, much greater than we struggle with even today. And so, God, these are difficult words, but also words of hope, of promise, of recognition that God is working in our midst, that he's working in us individually, and he's working in the corporate body of Christ to produce fruit in his children, in us, through hard circumstances sometimes. But what he produces in us is going to be better than when we began. And God, we're grateful, God, that you're doing those things. And God, we're grateful that even as we suffer through challenges here on earth, that it's temporary, that we look for the day that Christ is going to return. He's going to make things whole. He's going to make things right. And God, it's hard to wait. But God, we know oftentimes from experience that when we wait, we can experience amazing things. And what we look forward to in Christ's coming, we can't even fathom how great it's going to be. So God, we pray through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that you would continue to be faithful in our lives, helping us to produce patience through suffering and through challenges. God, we want to be found faithful to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.